Welcome to Elder Care Radio on 93.3 and 1390 WRSC. This presentation is brought to you by the law offices of Steinbacher, Goodall, and Yorchak, bringing you the latest information on how to best plan for the second part of life in the most tax-efficient, cost-effective way possible. Whether you have a loved one already in a nursing home and spending thousands of dollars each month to pay for care, or you're simply planning ahead, you'll hear ideas that will help you pay for long-term care without going broke in the process. Now, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm Chris Forshee. Let's introduce you to the two people who know lots on this topic. Our co-host, Attorney Jenna Franks, and Certified Medicaid Planner, Kristen Doherty, with Steinbacher, Goodall, and Yorchak Elder Care Law Firm. Before we get into our topic at hand, we want to point out first, Elder Care Law is all you do. That's correct. We focus on planning for the second half of life. We ask the tough questions. What happens when you die? What happens if you get sick and need long-term care? Or what happens if you receive a dementia diagnosis? Jenna and Kristen will be joining us over the next few shows to discuss many of the situations they encounter when dealing with the second half of life for most individuals. They'll be covering estate planning documents, protecting assets, dealing with dementia, and other options to help you pay for long-term care. Today, Jenna and Kristen will be discussing the essential estate planning documents that everyone should have. But before we get started, Jenna, tell us how you got interested in elder care law. Sure. I actually became interested in elder law because of my grandparents. My grandmother has dementia that has progressed over the past few years, and my grandfather has several physical conditions that prevent him from walking or getting around very well. We actually lived with them for a period of time to help take care of them. However, that burden quickly became overwhelming. You basically had to watch both of them at all times to make sure that the stove was turned off, that they were eating enough, or that they hadn't fallen or hurt themselves. But together, our grandparents were able to do a lot on their own, and our family just wasn't ready to move them into a facility. Luckily, there were options to provide in-home care to help take some of the burden off of the family. Seeing the stress this had caused my family and then seeing the relief once we had help made me realize then that being able to help families navigate through the long-term care options available was what I wanted to do. And I know Kristen had a similar experience. I did. My grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, and my grandfather was her primary caregiver. They were living in Florida, and my mom and her siblings all in different states. Even after placing her in a facility, the burden was too much for my grandfather, and his health and his cognition started to decline. He eventually moved into a facility, too. I remember the almost daily phone calls to my mom as their power of attorney, mostly due to the wandering away from the facilities and being picked up by the police. The impact on my mom and her family was devastating. Let's go and take a look at the facts, though, real quick. Someone is diagnosed with Alzheimer's every 68 seconds in this country. Yeah, seeing this happen to my own family and the fact that we have over 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 each day, many of whom will need long-term care during their lifetime, it was clear that I should focus my professional life on helping families figure out the most effective way to pay for a loved one's long-term care. That leads me, I guess, to our next question. If a family is dealing with a loved one that has dementia or can't make decisions for some reason, are they able to just step in and take over all of the financial and healthcare decisions for that loved one? In order to be able to make financial decisions or communicate with financial institutions on behalf of someone else, you must have a financial power of attorney for that person. Even your spouse can't automatically step in and make financial decisions for you without a power of attorney. 
I'm sure many of our listeners have tried to contact the cable or the electric company when it was listed under your spouse's name, and the company wouldn't speak to you. This is similar with anything financial. They won't talk to you unless you have a power of attorney for your spouse. But couldn't our listeners just go online and print off a power of attorney document and sign that? I'm glad you asked this. You can actually go online and print off a power of attorney, but just because you have the document doesn't mean it will work the way you intended. Not all powers of attorney are created equally. Our office actually gives out four different powers of attorney. We have a financial power of attorney, a health care power of attorney, a living will, and also a mental health power of attorney. Uh, just to give you an example, your financial power of attorney alone is about 20 pages long and should include specific provisions such as unlimited gifting or the power to create and fund an irrevocable trust. These are two of the biggest issues that Kristen and I probably see when it comes to estate planning documents. If these powers aren't included in your financial power of attorney, we likely can't engage in any sort of asset protection options. And rarely do the powers of attorney that come from other offices allow those powers. So it sounds like having good powers of attorney are really important for everyone to have. Everyone over the age of 18 should have powers of attorney and a will in place. So what's the difference between powers of attorney and a will? I actually get this question quite often. Powers of attorney are only in place while you're living. Then once you pass away, the powers of attorney are no longer in effect. At that point, we look at your will to see how you wanted your assets to be distributed upon your death. Your will should state who your beneficiaries are and who will be the executor that pays your debts and expenses and makes sure your beneficiaries receive the rest. It's important to understand that your will likely doesn't apply to every asset that you own. If you hold an account jointly with someone else, for instance, and one of you passes away, chances are that that account will automatically pass 100% to the surviving account holder, regardless of what your will says. The same is true of any account you have that includes a beneficiary designation. Once you pass away, that account automatically passes to the beneficiary that you have designated on that account, no matter what your will says. So really, there's a lot more to estate planning than just having documents in place. Exactly. The documents are really important, but it's more important to have a good overall plan so that you know what will happen if you pass away, or even if you don't pass away, if you get sick and need care at some point. This makes a transition much easier on you and also on your loved ones. Our office actually puts your plan in writing so that you can reference it from time to time to make sure your plan still makes sense and nothing needs updated. So those are the main estate planning documents, then powers of attorney and wills. All adults should have powers of attorney and wills, and sometimes it also makes sense to have a trust. Now, I was always under the impression that trusts are for people with lots of money. <laughs> Actually, no. Now, it doesn't make sense to have a trust if you have no money. But even if you have a small nest egg, it might make sense to have a trust depending on your situation and your goals. Trusts are used for so many different purposes, for instance, to avoid probate, for asset protection against creditors, maybe to reduce taxes, or to control gifts that you're making to your loved ones. We've created trusts in all of these situations. However, the most common trust that Kristen and I use nowadays is the Asset Protection Trust. With the cost of nursing home care drastically increasing, many people are concerned about losing all of their hard-earned money to the nursing home. We often use Asset Protection Trusts in those situations to protect some of their assets from their cost of care. Jenna, thanks. And coming up after the break, we'll talk about how you can actually protect some of your assets so that the nursing home doesn't take everything. It's all coming up after the break. Stay with us.
The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Elder Care Radio on 93.3 and 1390 WRSC. Let's rejoin attorney Jenna Franks and certified Medicaid planner Kristen Doherty. Before we went to the break, we were talking about protecting your assets so a nursing home doesn't take everything in the event that you need care. Jenna, obviously, this is an important topic for a lot of families having this discussion. Like I said, we actually use asset protection trusts in a lot of different situations to protect assets from the cost of nursing home care. We use what's called an irrevocable trust. It has to be an irrevocable trust because these are the only types of trust in Pennsylvania that offer protection against creditors like the nursing home. Keep in mind, though, that just because it's an irrevocable trust doesn't mean that the assets in the trust are untouchable. These trusts can still allow you to remain in control of your trust assets while still protecting those assets from creditors. So, for example, one of the most common planning strategies that we use is transferring your house into an irrevocable trust. Let's say you did this, and then a year or two down the road, you decide that you want to downsize to a smaller house. We actually have clients do this all the time. You can sell your old house and purchase the new house, and you can typically do this on your own. You don't even have to go through our office. Just put the new house into the trust name so that it stays protected against your creditors. So there are ways that you can use the assets that you put into a trust. The assets are not untouchable. Even if you put a bank account into a trust, there are typically ways to pull that money back out if something comes up later on. Keep in mind that when drafting these trusts, we try to give you as much flexibility and power over your assets as possible because we understand that it's scary transferring your assets into a trust. But also keep in mind that an irrevocable trust isn't for everyone. Whether or not a trust is going to work for you depends on several different factors. Some of those are just your health, your goals, how much assets you have, how your assets are structured, who your beneficiaries are. For instance, estate planning can require a little more work when we're dealing with blended families or families that include a loved one that has special needs. So Kristen, let's talk about that family dynamic because you have situations where you have some folks are divorced, you have stepkids into the mix. How do you go about giving one person the ability to make this happen when you're dealing with this situation. Yes, special needs planning is um, a unique and very important thing for everybody to consider. A lot of times, Jenna and I are working with families who didn't even realize how important uh, meeting with a law firm that works with special needs planning and how important that is until they've run into a situation. So it's really important to get the information out there for the families to come in and meet with us before the crisis hits. 
Special needs planning is really putting together a plan to provide for the current or the future needs of a child who has a disability. Now, a child can be someone under the age of 18, but a child can also be an adult child that receives SSI or Medicaid now or potentially in the future. There are several different factors to consider when we are looking at special needs planning. The first one is when a child turns 18 years old, your parents cannot automatically make decisions for that child any longer. So at that time, our job is to determine whether that child can understand and sign a power of attorney document or if a legal guardianship is necessary at that time. A guardianship is the process of petitioning the court to appoint another person to make personal decisions for that child. Once a legal guardian is appointed, the child is no longer able to make his or her own decisions. If the child has the ability to understand the basics of a power of attorney and understand that this would allow their parents to make financial and health care decisions, then they should be able to sign a power of attorney. We prefer power of attorneys over a legal guardianship since the guardianships tend to strip you of your personal liberty to make your own decisions. However, if the child cannot understand the basics of a power of attorney, then a legal guardianship is likely necessary. Either way, it's very important that someone is legally able to step in and help the child with finances and healthcare decisions. And that brings us up to planning for a special needs trust. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. So the next part of the special needs planning is determining if a special needs trust is necessary. So a big issue that we run into at our office is when we have a child who receives a large inheritance or settlement and now will be kicked off of their government benefits. Keep in mind, a child can also be an adult child. For many of these individuals, losing their government benefits is really detrimental, especially the Medicaid. We typically set up special needs trusts that would set the inheritance or settlement money aside to help supplement the government benefits that the child is receiving. This is the only way to ensure that the child will maintain their government benefits, but you can still set aside money in a special needs trust in case the child needs something that their benefits will not cover. If you have a child with special needs and you think a trust might be necessary, it's imperative that the trust be set up before you pass away. If you pass away and your child receives the inheritance, a trust can still be set up at that time. But once your child passes away, the state can claim against any assets remaining in the trust at that time to reimburse for the government benefits that your child received. But this can also be avoided just by having the trust be set up before you pass away. So, Kristen, I've heard this term ABLE accounts being passed around, and that kind of fits in this situation. So tell us about it. Yeah, you're right. So an ABLE account is a fairly new planning technique that we can use. So it's a type of an account that you can add up to $15,000 per year for somebody, for a child or somebody who has special needs. As long as your child uses the account to pay for qualified disability expenses, they can still maintain any government benefits that they are receiving. This is a great option if you would rather give your child smaller sums of money over time rather than a large inheritance once you pass away. This can also provide you with a tax advantage for any distribution that you make to the account. So really, your office can assist families with all of these special needs situations as well. Yeah, we can. In our office, we handle situations like this every day. 
won't be an uncommon scenario if someone picks up the phone and says, hey, I have a question about this. Absolutely not. And always a chance to get that free consultation, too. Absolutely. We're going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the first steps that you need to take to address all of these estate planning concerns. We'll be back in just a moment on Elder Care Radio. It's Jenna and Kristen from Steinbacher, Goodall, and Yurchak. Have you or a loved one been diagnosed with dementia? Are you worried about how to pay for the care that you can't live without? Has your neighbor or someone you know lost their life savings to long-term care? You aren't stuck with spending down to your last penny to pay for your care. At Steinbacher, Goodall, and Yurchak, we take the time and figure out a specialized plan that will work for you and your family to protect what matters most. While the health and safety of our clients and staff is our number one priority, we are still offering free initial consultations via Zoom or a phone call. You will receive the same quality legal and planning services from the comfort and safety of your own home. Call Steinbacher, Goodall, and Yurchak today at 814-237-4100 for your free consultation. That's 814-237-4100 or visit our website at paeldercouncil.com. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Elder Care Radio on 93.3 and 1390 WRSC. Welcome back to the show. Jenna, before we went into break, we heard from one of our listeners looking for more information about the four different types of powers of attorneys. Can you expand on that a little bit and tell us more? So there's four different types of powers of attorney, the financial power of attorney, the health care power of attorney, a living will, and a mental health power of attorney. The financial power of attorney is just as it sounds. It authorizes someone else to be able to deal with your finances, any aspect of your finances. This could be bank accounts. It could be life insurance. It could be dealing with real estate. And it's important that you understand that if you sign a health care power of attorney, for instance, you get to make your own health care decisions as long as you're able to make those. But if at some point in time you're not able to make your health care decisions, this allows somebody else to be able to make those for you. So the health care power of attorney authorizes someone else to be able to make decisions like who your doctors would be, what hospital or facility you'd be treated at. It should be HIPAA compliant as well. Your living will is also a healthcare related document, but it really addresses end of life decisions. If your doctors determine that you are in an end of life situation, do you want things like feeding tubes, breathing machines? And then the last power of attorney is the mental health power of attorney. And this is actually a newer document in Pennsylvania. This really addresses if you need some sort of mental health treatment and you're not able to make your own health care decisions. This allows someone else to make decisions like what mental health doctors can treat you, what facilities you could be treated at. And this also addresses treatments that are specific mental illnesses. 
Is it okay for you to receive electroconvulsive therapies? Or is it okay for you to undergo certain labs or trials if there's no other treatments available for your mental illness? I can see how all of this information could be extremely overwhelming for some of our listeners. What would you recommend as their first step in trying to address some of these estate planning concerns? Yeah, you're right. This type of planning is really overwhelming. And that's why our office focuses on planning for your second half of life. We know it's very complex and the laws are always changing. Our office actually offers free initial consultations where we can review any documents you currently have in place to see if anything needs updated. So one of our attorneys or certified Medicaid planners will meet with you and help you navigate and plan for your second half of life. Putting a solid estate plan together doesn't have to be overwhelming. So with all of that being said, how do people reach out to you, connect with you, and get this process moving? Our listeners can call us at 814-237-4100 to schedule your free initial consultation. Again, that's 814-237-4100 or visit our website at paeldercouncil.com. And the best part about it is that initial consultation, always free. That's right. That's going to do it for this week's show. I'm Chris Forshee. On behalf of Attorney Jenna Franks and Certified Medicaid Planner Kristen Doherty with Steinbacher Goodall, Yurchak Elder Care Law Firm, thank you for joining us. Coming up next week, we'll continue our discussion about all the topics you need to know when it comes for planning your second half of life. Join us then. Thanks for listening to Elder Care Radio. Join us again next Sunday at 10 a.m. on 93.3 and 1390 WRSC. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. This has been a production of the Law Offices of Steinbacher, Goodall, and Yorchak, and Forever Media.